The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome, everybody. I'm happy to see everybody here today. I'm in the heart of our work on the Eightfold Path. So, you know, we've started off and spent time on awareness of where we have stress and suffering. You know, having enough wisdom to see it, see that there's a cause for it, and that there are some things that we can do to uh, alleviate it and find our way to the end of suffering, potentially. Um, starting off with enough wisdom to f see when we are experiencing greed or ill will or cruelty and to start to invoke qualities of renunciation and kindness and compassion. And then, you know, we spent this wonderful piece of work on the morality factors of the right action, you know, so foregoing harming and not practicing, you know, practicing honest speech instead of dishonest speech, not taking what is not given and um, practicing non-harming with our sexuality. Then seeing perhaps how that weaves together with speaking, speaking both internally, how we talk to ourselves and how we talk to others and um, seeing how these practices roll into how we treat ourselves, you know, whether we are being timely and honest and kind and bringing ourselves together and bringing others together. And then right livelihood, of course. Just, you know, how you make a living and all of what you do with your life. So there have been all these wonderful practices and by now hopefully you're starting to see kind of how they weave together. You know, I find at this point it's kind of this, this last grouping of, or this next to last grouping, depending on how you look at it, of concentration factors, really I can feel how they depend on one another. So we spent the last month working with right effort, you know, noticing, uh, guarding against things that are unhelpful, unhelpful states. If you see them coming up, maybe abandoning them, dropping them, um, trying to cultivate more wholesome states and then maintaining those wholesome states. And there's a way in which that just dovetails so beautifully with right mindfulness this month. Like all throughout the path, you've used mindfulness. You've used a level of effort. And what's great about mindfulness is that practicing this month deeply really just rolls into concentration as kind of a natural consequence of the practices that we're doing. So that you don't have to work at right concentration from, you know, nothing. It really, these practices build on and lend themselves to one another. So, um, and we each have our own path with this. So if you have found yourself jumping back to one of the prior path factors and, and finding yourself really engaged, for example, on just keep coming back to my views, keep coming back to these actions have these consequences or keep coming back to speech. I keep coming back to how challenging it is to practice internal right speech. So, um, you know, we each have our own way that we weave these together and our own way of 
finding which ones keep calling out to us. Um, but with that, I'm looking forward to our sharing today about right mindfulness. And the, the thing that this makes me aware of also at this point in the work that we're doing is that really this is a survey. We could say this is a survey of the Eightfold Path. And this month is a survey in a way of right mindfulness. You'll both be practicing it in depth, but there is a lot to this. You know, maybe you've experienced by that by now with this Eightfold Path. There's a lot to be discovered here. So, it's a lifetime practice. And with that, um, I'll turn it over to Bruni to guide us in a meditation. So, <clears throat> let's take a posture of um, support and dignity. A posture that uh, supports you in being mindful, in being here. Here in this moment, maybe it's useful to take two or three deep breaths to establish that presence of being here right now. And breathing naturally and maybe becoming aware of the contact of the body with the chair. The contact of the feet with the floor. Or maybe the contact of your body with your cushion, if you're sitting on a cushion. And maybe checking Scanning through your body to see if there are any areas of tension that maybe you can easily relax by by knowing that you are sustained by your posture, by this intention of being here right now. Maybe lowering the shoulders if they're a little tight or up. 
maybe relaxing the belly. The muscles of the face. The jaw by maybe opening and softly closing your mouth. Just having lips touching. And as you settle, settle in this body, this body that carries you through your life. Kindly and deliberatively, maybe you can notice any sensations as you breathe. Any sensations in the body as you breathe in and any sensations in the body as you breathe out. Maybe noticing the <clears throat> the air as you breathe in. Maybe in the nostrils. Becoming mindful, mindful of breathing. Maybe noticing that the breath travels through your body. Maybe some of you feel it more in the chest or maybe in the abdomen or maybe right below the ribs. Wherever it is, see if you know that you're breathing and where you feel in your body the breathing. As you breathe in, maybe you notice expansion. Maybe 
Maybe there is some change in temperature or some expansion in the front of your body, in your belly or whatever, whatever you feel you're breathing. And maybe also you feel it in your back. How the muscles of the back also extend or expand. Maybe you notice the temperature as you inhale and the temperature of the air as you inhale. And your nostrils Maybe also you become aware that we don't have to direct this body to breathe. It breathes itself. Breathing in, you may know that you're breathing in and breathing out. You may know that you're breathing out or you know that you're breathing out. Maybe you notice that you're breathing in a short breath. And maybe you notice that you breathe out a short breath. Or maybe it's a long breath. Noticing the sensations of the waves of breathing 
in and breathing out. Kindly, gently, you may shift your attention to maybe other sensations that you're feeling in your body, you're sensing in your body. Physical sensations like maybe vibration or tightness or maybe a teeny tiny movement being mindful of the body. Help us to be here in the present moment. If you get distracted, come back to your body and you'll be here now. Maybe there are other sensations in the body that you're notice. Maybe you feel that physical sensation of touching your back touching the the chair, the back of the chair, or if you're in a cushion, how your glutes touch the cushion or touch the chair. Mindfulness of the body. Includes so many sensations sometimes. And maybe it could be only one or two. No matter what shows up for you, Keep it simple.
Whatever pace gets your attention, just be mindful of that. Be mindful of that physical sensation. Maybe you notice also how your hands are in contact with maybe your thighs or how one hand is touching the other if you have your hands together, touching together. And as you, as you're mindful of what is going on, what is showing up in your body, breathing keeps going, huh? And there may be other things that may show up. Maybe a feeling Maybe a thought. And it's okay. Just be mindful of what shows up and what gets your attention in each moment. Without any resistance or being against or in favor of whatever shows up. Just receiving Receiving what shows up for you.
as we end this meditation. Maybe it would be useful to take, whenever you're ready, two or three breaths Becoming aware of your entire body. And as you open your eyes when you're ready, maybe becoming aware of your environment, of the room, the rest of us. and the sound of the bell. So with uh, right mindfulness and right awareness of the body, as you were just practicing, um, we get to delve into what is known as the direct path to freedom. And that's a pretty interesting phrase to me, the direct path. So um, right mindfulness is uh, the four foundations of mindfulness. And um, here's a quote from the Buddha talking to his students. This is the direct path for the purification of being, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four satipatthanas. So the four foundations, or these right mindfulness practices, are also known as the four satipatthanas. And they're the tools that the Buddha emphasized will lead us straight to our goal of no suffering, no stress. Um, so it's more than just being vaguely conscious or aware of what's happening. Um, it refers to you know, we can be conscious or aware that we're watching television or really uh, noticing what we're looking at on the internet, but be nowhere close to the path of freeing ourselves from suffering or stress. So we're talking about a particular kind of presence of mind, a particular attitude of awareness 
and attentiveness in this particular practice of right mindfulness. Um, so here's another ex- uh, quote of the Buddha speaking directly to practitioners in the middle length discourses. What is right mindfulness? Here, a practitioner abides focused on the body in itself, on feeling tones in themselves, on mental states in themselves, and on mental processes in themselves, ardent, clearly comprehending, and mindful, having put away greed and distress for the world. So these four foundations, the body, the feeling tones, the mental states, and the mental processes are objects of our attention or our mindfulness. And the way that we attend to them is also a very important part. Perhaps the main part of this is how we're attentive, how we're mindful. Um, I'm going to focus today on the body and the feeling tones, and Chris will talk about the mental states and mental processes. But before um, I get into the body and the feeling tones, these words that you just heard in this quote from the Buddha are significant in differentiating right mindfulness from just kind of -of run-of-the-mill, generalized mindfulness or awareness. Um, And so let's look at all of the words that are used there. So first, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, having put away greed and distress for the world. Um, These point to a particular attitude of awareness. So ardent, uh, um, it's not a word we hear very often these days, but it's telling us to put in the energy and the effort to stay present or to really tune in on something. So we've, fortunately, we've spent the last month on right effort. You know, how to guard the sense doors, how to abandon unskillful or unhelpful things when they arise, how to cultivate helpful things and how to maintain them. That's part of ardency. So with our being ardent, we are into um, taking care with it, persevering with it. Um, and we're doing a form of direct knowing. We're not thinking about it. We're not just kind of um, pondering it or intellectualizing about it. We're directly experiencing something with a good deal of focus and perseverance. But it's also a relaxed perseverance. So this has taken me years <laughs> to work with. Uh, not to be too energetic towards it, too keyed up, too on the edge of my seat, but also not to be too relaxed so that it's just kind of vague. So we're advised to be ardent, to apply energy and effort, but a relaxed energy and effort. Next, we're advised to be clearly comprehending or clearly knowing. So that means we're feeling it, experiencing it, with a sense of purpose, with a real awareness of what's going on, the range of what's going on, moment to moment in detail. So right now, the minute I say this, you're going to be vaguely aware that you're breathing. 
And there's a difference between being vaguely aware or intermittently aware. Yeah, I'm, I'm breathing. I can, okay, I just felt I said some words on the out-breath. You know that there's a big difference between that and taking the breath as the object of awareness and really clearly knowing it as you just were in the early part of the guided meditation. You were really taking the breath as the object and you were noticing, was it short, was it long? The characteristics of it, where you felt it in your body. Then you were really being ardent and clearly knowing. Um, Now, there's different levels of this, of course. You know, you aren't going to take a detailed knowing of the breath as your object when you're at work, necessarily. You might notice if your breath tightens up when you're reading, reading a particular email. But really, you're going to be applying at that moment. You're going to be clearly, if you're mindful, you're going to be clearly comprehending how you're going about your work. Maybe how you're going about talking to your colleagues, what your attitudes are towards the work that you're doing. Your mindfulness is going to be ardent and clearly comprehending of the object of work, right? And sometimes you'll just be lost in the work, too. Um, But when you're taking an object, you're kind of then aware of taking it with some purpose, with some ardency, with some clear comprehension of whatever that object is. If it's walking, you're noticing the movement of your body, the feelings of your feet and legs, maybe your movement through space. There it's your object. So my point is, there's a difference between vaguely knowing something or intermittently tuning into it and, you know, okay, yeah, I noticed that breath. Maybe you've done this before in practice. I've seen myself do this. Okay, yeah, I really paid attention to that breath. And then I fall into just a kind of rhythmicity with the breath. And I'm no longer really paying attention to how the next breath is different from the last breath. I'm just kind of lulled into the rhythmicity of breathing. That's not clearly comprehending if I want breath as my object. Breathing as my object. Unless I'm trying to pay attention to the rhythm of breathing. But usually when we're paying attention to the breath, we're doing something more specific. So when you're practicing uh, clearly comprehending, you're also invited to practice something known as bare attention. So you are not thinking about it. You're not being reactive towards it. You're not trying to be caught, uh, allow yourself to get caught up in greed for it. So if, if we're practicing mindfulness of breathing, we're not sitting here going, wow, that breath was great. I want to breathe that like that breath for the whole rest of my practice for, from here on out. I'm, gonna, I'm caught in greed. Or if I've always had difficulty, as I did early in my practice with mindfulness of breathing, it was really difficult for me because I was aversive to it. I was like, breathing, really, come on, I'm bored, you know, like, isn't there something more interesting to be aware of? I don't think I can do this right. Gil says one breath is completely distinct from the next. I can't tell the difference between. So you can see, you know, I was caught in aversion. Um, and also, I was, there's the way that I just said I got, sometimes got lulled into just the rhythmicity of breathing and thought that I was being mindful of the breath. That's a form of delusion. I was really just kind of ignorant of the of being aware of the breath, honestly. So this phrase, being mindful, having put away greed and distress for the world, I love that phrase. 
because it suggests that you can set aside that reactivity for a time. You, you put it away, you know, like you put it in the closet and you shut the door for a while. Not saying you're fully liberated from greed and aversion and delusion, but for the time that you're being mindful of the breath, for example, you've put away greed and distress for the world in being ardent towards noticing the breath, in being clearly comprehending of it. You're not letting yourself get caught in these other stories or these other forms of dullness. Um, so the practice of right mindfulness, of course, includes remembering to do it. And, you know, that sounds kind of obvious, but it can mean, on a, on a very granular level, it can mean bringing your awareness back again and again to the object of your awareness. So with breathing, maybe you've noticed your mind at times sharper with it and other times a little uh, more vague or dull with it. But if you're practicing right mindfulness, you're um, remembering to do it again and again. And sometimes that's a lot more easeful to think of. I'm just going to keep bringing myself back, bringing myself back to being ardent, attentive, clearly knowing, instead of, you know, thinking, oh, well, you know, continuity, I, I, I lost it, so I'm not doing it. Just keep bringing yourself back. So it, as we've said, it's a present moment awareness. So it's a quality of being awake in a non-interfering and receptive way. This bare attention is receptive. It's not necessarily trying to do anything with it. It's receiving what's happening and paying attention to it. And then um, this non-interfering receptive manner experiences and notices phenomena with the breathing or whatever your object is as it arises and passes. So phenomena as they roll on, as they come and go. And the term that you may sometimes hear is abiding with it, abiding with the breath, abiding with the body, abiding with the mental state or the feeling tone. I love that word too. Again, we don't use it a whole lot, but it, to me it brings up that feeling of abode, living somewhere. And so we're kind of living in it. And that brings up an image for me of being a monk in a hut. You know, just that's me being the monk in the hut, letting phenomenon arise and pass, and just being present with whatever's arising and passing, abiding. So I've spent the last month really enjoying and listening again to a series of talks that Joseph Goldstein has recorded on uh, Dharma Seed about this Satipatthana Sutta. I mean, it's a long series. It's got tons of talks in it. Very juicy. And he uh, notes in his series that he's based it, his talks on this book, Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization by the Venerable Bhikkhu Analyo. And right now, this is my current, if I were marooned on a desert island, I'd like to have this book with me because it is so beautifully detailed about these practices of right mindfulness in the Four Foundations. Um, in one of these talks that Joseph gives about the Satipatthanas, he s quotes the Buddha as saying, it is better to live a single day seeing the arising and passing of phenomena than to live a hundred years 
without seeing the arising and passing. Wow. <laughs> I love that. You know, that's really inspiring. So instead of just blundering along in our lives, we have this opportunity to do these practices of really ardently, clearly knowing something arising and passing. And it's a, a direct toward freedom from suffering. So turning from these kind of, these are all the attitudes of awareness, the attitudes of mindfulness that we're bringing then to these four foundations, which are objects, they're tools, they're means to an end. You know, I don't think anybody came here wanting to be really great at breathing. You came here to be free of your stress and suffering. But what's fascinating is by becoming really ardent and clearly knowing of your breathing and all of the facets of it or your body or your feeling tone or your mental states, you can, along the way, feel your stress and suffering drop off, get lesser. It's why this is my book to take to a desert island. Um, so here's the beginning of Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Buddha, with the Buddha explaining, and what monks is right mindfulness? Here, a monk dwells contemplating the body in the body. So in Gill's quote that I gave earlier, it was the body in itself. I spent a long time with, what the heck is the body in the body? But that really helped me start to get its being in this unfolding, rising and passing thing, process, set of processes that are going on here, moment to moment. Um, so it's not looking at it, it's not being outside of it really, it's being in it and feeling it and directly experiencing it. Um, so this contemplation of the body in the body or in and of itself starts with breathing in the practices known as Anapanasati. Gil recorded a great series last year on the Dharma practice days on Anapanasati. So that's available to you on Audio Dharma. And this is, by the way, being with breath is not just for beginners. Bhikkhu Bodhi points out this was the practice the Buddha was using on the very night of his enlightenment. So this practice can lead to all stages of the path. And so you heard um, from Bruni as she gave you uh, the guided meditation. You know, we went from noticing whether the inhalation and exhalation were long or short. That's really about not so much, you know, I got caught up in comparing, as I said, you know, like Gil says, one breath is next is different from the next. I got into comparing. That wasn't the point. The point was, how is this breath right now? Just really tuning into this breath right now and the characteristics of it. Then the, maybe the whole feeling of the breath in the body. And interestingly, these kind of go from broader, coarser forms of awareness. As you go through the Anapanasati stages, it gets more and more subtle, more and more refined, so that along the way, you find the breath gets calmer and calmer. And also the body, it, it comes to a place called calming the bodily formation. And that means calming the breath and also the sensations of the body tend to get 
calmer and calmer, quieter and quieter, until at some point they can completely drop away. Um, another practice in contemplation of the body in itself is mindfulness of the postures. So Bruni touch, touched on this. She really got you into how you were sitting, where you felt the, your back against the cushion or chair, where you felt your hands. So really tuning into the details, the felt details of sitting. But also, we tend to get, get so focused on sitting, we forget that the Buddha invited us to be mindful of walking, standing, and lying down as well. And it, these are great to incorporate in daily life practice. So I weave these throughout my day. I try to remember as often as possible, noticing the body sitting and all the in-betweens. This is bodyfulness, you know, to practice Here's how it, you know, really feeling how it is getting up out of a chair, walking to the restroom when I get up between my clients. I feel the feelings of walking to the restroom, toileting, washing my hands, you know, brushing my hair, walking back to the office, sitting back down. So we have all day, every day, we have loads of opportunities to know directly the sensations in our body of doing any of the activities we do all day. So that's mindfulness of the postures as well. And the more I've noticed, the more I keep coming back to those things, the reason I weave that throughout my day and kind of have it as a little mindfulness spell to notice those, is that the more you come back to practices like this, the more it builds continuity of awareness, and the more you do that, the, the more mindfulness is on board for you consistently or very often. So the next step, um, the practicing clear comprehension um, is, we touched on that before, clearly comprehending, but there are details of it. And Bhikkhu Bodhi gives a good exposition in his book of that, you know, knowing the purpose, noticing the suitability of what you're doing. As I said before, you, you know, this, it's not really necessarily suitable to be doing Anapanasati practice while you're trying to get your job done, but it would be appropriate to attune your mindfulness to how you are about your working. Um, and you know, there's a knowing without delusion and a range of how you are mindful in clear comprehension. So um, what's, what all is entailed in that? Um, there are two really interesting forms of mindfulness also included in contemplating the body in itself. Um, one is called the uh, contemplation on the 32 parts of the body. So it is a visualization practice. And I've got to tell you, this one is a fantastic concentration practice. By doing it, I've found one gets very concentrated or one can get very concentrated in the process. Not because you're trying to be concentrated, it just naturally flows out of the practice. Um, Bob Stahl, who has taught in the past in Inside Santa Cruz, has run day-longs and also an entire you know, number of months series on this. And that, again, you can hear a recording on Audio Dharma or a more detailed set on Dharma Seed if you want to do this pra practice. Because it sounds, you know, it's really intended in part to disenchant us with the body. But it takes you through the body each component at a time. Head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bone, marrow, kidneys, 
heart, liver, diaphragm, etc. You go through each of these components one at a time, fully feeling and visualizing them. And I did it this morning and, you know, could just feel my mind get way calmer and way more concentrated. Uh, the final uh, practice of mindfulness of the body in itself is called the cemetery meditations. So this, can, this is a contemplation of the body's disintegration after death. It's also a way of detaching from this over-identification with this is me, this is it, I'm, I'm right here. You know, I've got to be in this body and I've, it's just, it's me, you know. Um, this can be done either imaginally or it can be done with pictures of the body decomposing or being in the presence of a corpse, which they do in the chaplaincy program. Um, I was in Spirit Rock's dedicated practitioner program a few years ago and a Burmese monk had declared that after his death he wanted um, them to take pictures of his decomposing corpse and those were made available to us if we wanted to look at them to do this practice. It was fascinating. It was really fascinating to see what happened in looking at those. And all of these practices of mindfulness of the body in the body from the breath to the postures to the parts of the body, to the cemetery contemplations, really helps me understand why Gillis said, why, you know, they maybe should have translated this as bodyfulness instead of mindfulness. And I sort of think of it as body mindfulness, like body mind being one thing. You know, we can't really separate those. Um, so this is a very uh, fruitful form of practice, being aware of the body in the body. That flows into or uh, is closely related, related to the next satipatthana, which is contemplation of feeling. Um, in this case, we're not being present with emotions, but we're being present with the fundamental feeling tone of our experience. And there are three types, pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So our consciousness connects with an object via one of our sense faculties, one or more. So, you know, we have, and, and that meeting of those is called contact. So we have eye contact, nose contact, tongue contact, body contact, mind contact. And what tends to follow right on the heels of that is this feeling tone. So the tongue tastes chocolate and pleasant arises. Now, if I don't watch, first of all, if I don't watch my mind think chocolate would be nice right now and summon up chocolate's pleasant, if I don't watch that, craving starts to occur. So I get deeper down the path towards suffering. Um, if I don't notice that there's some sort of really noisy thing going on outside and it's, I'm starting to allow it to affect me and I'm tensing up and I don't pay attention right there to the unpleasant feeling tone that arises, I can get an increasing state of irritability. And if I'm not paying attention, if it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant because I'm just kind of not tuned in, um, that can lead to ignorance or delusion. That is the doorway to ignorance or delusion, is not paying attention right there. Um, so 
By the way, I've heard some people call this pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. I don't use the word neutral, um, partly because I've heard people uh, kind of pridefully say, well, most things I experience as neutral, as though it's a big achievement. But for me, for myself, the kind of the caution in my head is, um, let's not lull ourselves into thinking that, because I'm just aware that there can be a very subtle aversion to feeling itself. Like, have you ever heard someone say, mm, I don't care? And that's a really clear signal that not only do they care passionately, but something about it hurts so much they don't even want to touch it. So I view neutral as kind of dangerous for me. If I go, oh yeah, that's neutral. I might not be tuning into this subtle feeling of pleasant or unpleasant that's there. By the way, this practice is really powerful. Um, the first multi-day retreat I attended was at Spirit Rock. It was three days with Pema children doing nothing but pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Now, it, there were a gazillion people there and we were under a tent outside and it was really hot and there were a lot of flies and we were like almost shoulder to shoulder. Wow, did I get a lot of experience with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And I started, I mean, I noticed that I, after a while, I noticed that I had been pulling my entire body in so as not to bump shoulders with the person next to me. So like, unpleasant. And then the flies landing on me. I, you know, the first impulse was a reactivity, like, <laughs> you know, but the longer I watched that, the more, you know, watched unpleasant and really investigated, okay, what the heck is so unpleasant about a fly landing and walking on your arm for a, a second? You know, what's unpleasant about that? Just re really being at that doorway, it really unfolds a lot more than you would think it would. So, um, just a brief survey, and as I say, these are deep practices. I mean, you know, look at this book. This is just about the Satipatthanas. So being patient with yourselves, but also, you know, delving in and enjoying how really amazing these practices can be. So with that, um, Bruni will take us into a breakout session so we can integrate some of this. questions and answers later on. So um, so we're gonna let me see how many are we let me see. Great. We're twenty. So uh, we're going to have five groups of four. And just to starting uh, to put into practice what we're talking about, you know, mindfulness, as you stand up, you don't have to stand up now, but as you stand up and you walk to meet your group and you sit, see if you can bring mindfulness to it. That movement, even the intention, that impulse that becomes intention, okay, I'm going to stand up. And then you start moving your legs. 
your eyes start looking for where is my group, where are my people. <laughs> so um, see how that is for you. And um, <clears throat> we want you to um, reflect on the following question. How do you experience how do you experience the difference? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was talking about being mindful. I was on the second meditation. Um, okay, how would it help you to incorporate? How would it help you to incorporate more bodily awareness in daily life? How would it help you to incorporate more bo bodily awareness in daily life? Okay. So you can go ahead and form uh, groups of four. And um, we will have uh, 20 minutes, 20 minutes to do this. So um, it will be five minutes per person, okay? Instead of monologues, let's do it go around and around. Go around, okay. Just each person put in one thing. Okay, so let's do that, uh, okay? 20 minutes. Group, a little bit, just to just share as a community. How, how was it, and all the different ranges of experience? As usual, I won't follow the rules. Uh, a very dear friend of mine had a favorite Zen koan, and the koan went like this. When sitting sit, when walking, walk. Above all, don't wobble. <laughs> Thank you. Or if you're wobbling, just wobble and know you're yeah. wobbling. <laughs> A encouragement towards ardency. I believe so. Yeah. So how how was it? How was uh, maybe being mindful of the body? Any discoveries, celebrations, disappointments? I could understand what everyone told me, but I couldn't experience it. But when I heard their words and understood their experience, it triggered an entire different experience inside of me. But I always had to come back to the experience of being in the body to understand it. Okay. 
And how how was how was like that experience of being the body like? Anything? It was very fun. <laughs> it was light. It seemed new. It seemed different. It seemed very familiar. Nice. Thank you. Anything else? just feel like saying that uh, something we didn't touch on, but some people find it very, very difficult to be in their bodies and, uh, you know, have a lifelong habit of living in their heads and there might be some trauma or some difficulty in being in the body that it's very, you know, it's it's too difficult a place to start. So I just want to say that there's, you know, in the second half we'll be talking about other ways into this practice and other ways to begin. So, you know... It's a, anyway, it's a very rich practice, and it, it, there's, fortunately, there's lots of starting places for it. You may find over time that you become more and more integrated in your body. That's been definitely a pathway for me, is started out in the head, and really more and more, you know, feel more integrated. I want to share that. Oh, did you raise your hand? Oh, I pass. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so interesting that you said, you know, what you just said, Chris, because that was exactly what I was talking about in uh, my sharing, and that um, when I uh, allowed myself the question, you know, why, why don't I, wh- why am I not sitting, you know? Um, what is it I don't want to look at or feel? And so I made the intention of sit for sitting for 30 minutes, and I felt this well of sadness coming up. And it was so big that I, I just couldn't even take it on in that moment. And I know it's still there. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, that living in my head is a way for me to, to remain disconnected from you know, deep feelings, and um, I don't know if they're related to trauma. I, actually, uh, some of that is coming up. So, um, you know, I, I, I have to, I actually have to consciously remind myself even on a daily basis to get back in my body by getting up from my computer and my work and stretching or taking a walk or doing something where I feel more integrated, my mind to my body, and... Um, yeah, so this is a really, this is not part of the practice that I've spent a lot of time with, so I really appreciate it today. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it can be strong emotion or, you know, specific bodily difficulty memories or all kinds of things. There's all kinds of reasons why, you know, we tend to live in our heads and it's, it is a process of slowly integrating and getting back in touch with, you know, finding your way to get in touch with this if it's not doesn't come naturally to you. So, right. This, I, I thought that I saw someone else, but maybe this, that's it for now. 
Well, we can take a break, and we have time for questions later. So we'll have a 10-minute break. We'll come back about 2.25, or an 8-minute break. <laughs> 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 Trying to stay on schedule here.